welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, your host, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master. I also provide online courses that take you from average product manager through four levels of knowledge to be a product master. In the process, you'll accelerate your career as you create and manage products that also create greater value. You'll find out more about that at the same place where you'll find the show notes for this episode. And that's the everydayinnovator.com slash 141. Our work is the work of innovation. A few years ago, I heard the word innovation expressed as in a new way. It's a helpful phrase to remember that the very nature of innovation means doing something new, something we haven't done before, something in a new way. This puts us at the center of change. The very nature of our work as product managers and innovators is all about change. We often need to help others we work with understand why change is required. And this is a skill we can learn and my guest calls it change intelligence. She wrote the book, Change Intelligence, Use the Power of CQ to Lead Change That Sticks. She also coaches business leaders, teams, and product managers to effectively lead change in their organizations, and she's a highly sought-after speaker for leadership and change keynotes across the world. Her name is Barbara Troutline. There are three primary change styles. Listen to identify your individual change style, and how you can more effectively work with others who have different styles. Barbara, welcome to the Everyday Innovators. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I love the topic of change, and partly because as product managers and innovators, we're often at the the heart of change, right? We do those new things, whether it's building new products or making existing, existing products better. We're still bringing about change, and that means that we should have some idea of what's involved with change and how people respond to change and the like. And also, there's this issue of product managers in their own right are, are leaders in some sense, but leaders without any real authority, typically, right? They just have to use their influence. Uh, at the same time, many of them aspire to become more organizational leaders as their influence grows, move into more leadership roles, official leadership roles throughout the organization. And so this topic of change, I think, fits at many levels there. How do you find, whether it be a product manager or a leader, how do you find people typically approaching change now, because I want to start talking about what can we do that's different from the, you know, what, what is typical, and how we can be more effective. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I really do think that we're leaders at all levels, hmm. regardless of whether you're a formal people manager, um, you are still tasked with leading change. Mm-hmm. As you, as you noted, um, new products are big changes. They affect so many people internally, externally. And so I believe that every product manager is a leader. So that's kind of my come from. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, that in terms of, um, you know, those in your audience, either who are, you know, well-placed, enjoying their role right now as product manager, and for those who do want to, um, do aspire to, like you said, formal leadership roles, I do believe that building one's capacity in leading change is pretty mission critical right now. Um, And I think that we get a lot of training, or in some organizations we get a lot of training, but at least we have a lot of tools to develop 
leadership capacity around, for example, how we communicate, how we manage conflict, how we coach others. However, I think that this competency around how do we lead change is a missing in a lot of the experiences that we have, or at least a lot of the formal developmental experiences that we have, which is kind of scary because we're all tasked with leading change. And yet, how often do we really get, I think people think that, oh, we have a you know, a mouth we can communicate and, um, you know, we, uh, we, we, we've been on some, you know, sports teams, we, we can lead a team through change and, and, um, and I don't know. And yet there are definitely, you know, um, tools and, and, and tactics and methodologies that we can use just like when you go through the product development life cycle, the mm-hmm. same thing with leading people through change. Right. And those aspects of change, you said it's a, a capacity, a capability, I think some of us think about changes, you know, it's just the way I'm wired. I don't like change. You know, other people love rushing it in the new situations, right? But it's actually something we can change. <laughs> we can change how we think about change. Absolutely. That's right. And, you know, as the expression goes, you know, be the change you want to see, right? It all starts with me as, as a change leader. And that's absolutely true. And just, you know, we know some things um, from neuroscience, neuroscience research that we're only just learning. We've only just learned in the last five, 10 years And it's very fascinating that neuroscientists, so these are brain researchers who put electrodes on people's brains and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And what happens in our brain is that literally change equals pain. Change in our environment literally equates to the same neurological responses as when we experience physical pain in our bodies. I think that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Even the most change-friendly amongst us, and I'm pretty change-friendly, um, we get triggered like that. That's what happens. Some of us, we you know, then move into the moving from looking at it as a threat or something to fear or at least an annoyance and an inconvenience to an p- opportunity and possibility. Um, and some people take longer. But I think right there, that information in and of itself is empowering to people. It gives yourself, right? It causes you to kind of understand your own reaction, right? Put on your own oxygen mask on first, right? Mm -hmm. And also it gives you, I think, a little more empathy or understanding for those that you're leading and partnering with through change. That's a pretty enlightening thought. And one I have not come across, Uh, change is actually related to actual pain and, and as far as brain chemistry is concerned. I often think of change in terms of what has made us successful in the past, we get attached to that, right? It's like, this made us, this worked for us. Why would we want to mess with what worked for us? Absolutely. And that's also what happens. And uh, when we experience um, threat or fear or discomfort, what do we do? We know what we do, right? We fight, flight, or freeze. And what do all those reactions have in common? The blood and glucose, the stuff that feeds our brain, rushes out of our brain, past our necks, right? So we can fight, goes to our arms, we can flight, goes to our mm-hmm. legs, and our uh, our heart rate goes up, our lungs breathe, we, we breathe faster. Basically, all the good stuff that's feeding our brain, our cognitive capacity goes way, way down. <laughs> um, so, so just when we need it the most, our IQ, right, our ability to logically reason, think through things, and especially be creative and explore alternatives literally reduces. That literally physiologically happens to us. And that's what happens when we go through change um, is that we, um, uh, you know, because it can be stressful, it can be fearful. So we go to our, our dominant knee-jerk responses, the right. ones that typically have helped us be successful, but not always. 
right? And they may not be appropriate for the situation, right? We have to be aware of that. And we know that some from this area of, of emotional intelligence, and emotional intelligence tells how, how to be self-aware and, and be a little bit more tuned with our emotions and those of people we're trying to lead or impact or influence. And you've talked about this term in the past of change intelligence. Can you tell us what change intelligence involves? Absolutely. So um, uh, just like I said, I believe that, you know, leading change, developing products, um, Mm -hmm. we need all our IQ, right? We need our raw intellectual intelligence. And you're right to partner with others, lead people through change. No one's an island. We need emotional intelligence, understanding of our own emotions, being able to manage them, understanding others' emotions, be able to use that information to build relationships. I believe that what we also need is change intelligence, and I say change intelligence or CQ interchangeably. And what I mean by change intelligence is the awareness of our style of leading change and our ability to adapt our style to be optimally effective across people and situations. That's two parts, the awareness and be able to adapt. So what I've seen, Chad, in my almost 30 now year career is that so often people Um, product managers, executives, frontline employees, doesn't matter, people, um, when they're asked to lead a change or when they're asked to play a significant role in a change, they, you know, and especially when you look at positive changes like development new products, right? Uh We can start off with the best intentions. With the best intentions, we're, you know, excited. We're going down this new path. We see the possibility, right? Um, However, at some point, what often happens is that we encounter resistance and we start feeling like we're trying to uh, push against people, do something to others or against them or even in spite of it starts getting very, very frustrating. And that's actually the number one topic in the change management literature is overcoming resistance to change. Right. And so the problem with that kind of mindset is that it is about controlling or changing other people, which of course we can't do, (laughs) right? What can we control? We can only control ourselves and mindsets and behavior. Exactly. And so that's what developing change intelligence helps us do. It helps turn the mirror back on ourselves so we become more aware of how we are going about doing this thing, leading change, and and it gives us more options. It gives us options because the more options we have, the more power we have. Mm-hmm. The more options we have, the more power we have. Because again, what can we control? Only ourselves. So this is more akin to emotional intelligence, which is something we can actually change, right? So IQ, there's debate whether how much we can change IQ or not. But emotional intelligence, we just increase our awareness of ourselves doing that. And so change intelligence fits this area really well, too. And we increase our awareness about how we think about change, Right. And maybe you have some examples of this, that how knowing our change intelligence helps us lead better, helps us in situations where we're trying to influence the change situation, right? As you said before, we usually put the emphasis on the resistance, which is how, how do we impact others? But if we first start from a place of knowing how we respond, we probably do a better job through change. So how does knowing our CQ, our change intelligence, really help us be more effective? Um, what I always say is that what looks like resistance in others is an opportunity for us as change leaders to do something differently, right? We can look at resistance. If we reframe resistance from our enemy to our ally, right, from our enemy to our ally, and look at resistance as a source of information for us, right, a source of information for us, because we can't change and control them. We can only control ourselves. So um, 
what, how does this help us? So what, as I said, change intelligence is the awareness of your style of leading change first and foremost. So what are those styles? Hmm. <laughs> we first have to be aware of our style. And in my decades of, of coaching change leaders and facilitating change teams and initiatives, um, what I've seen is that there's three primary styles of leading change. Okay. And it's a very simple model, but it's powerful because it's actionable. So it's people lead change from the heart, the head, or the hands. Okay. Um, some change leaders lead from the heart. They focus on the people that are going through the change, right? So they look at the people and the teams. And so their style is very collaborative, communicative. They engage, they build teams and trust, right? So obviously that's a strength. This is a strength-based model. Uh -huh. However, I will ask you, Chad, if that is your primary style or think about, and, and I encourage the people listening to, to do that, think about, is this my style leading to, from the heart, focusing on the people? Um, or maybe I'm uh, working with others who that is their style and I like it or it's frustrating. But, but think about it. That's a strength. Obviously, change is one person changing at a time. That's a strength. However, how can that strength sometimes be overdone in your experience, focusing on the people, engaging, collaborating, communicating, Okay, so so this is time for self-reflection on my own part. And I tend to be a bit more task-focused than relationship-focused, okay, okay. right? Okay, okay. And I strive. I really try hard. And when I am that heart-centered person, I focus on the individual. I kind of feel collectively that the group is losing focus on moving the task forward. The individuals might be feeling better about themselves, but we're losing focus as a group on the task. Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So often our strength can be a strength overdone, right? And for high heart leaders, it's perhaps caring too much about the emotions, not caring too much, but, but allowing the emotions to derail us from achieving the business goal, right. right? And so therefore, we can have a blind spot of the need to move forward with a sense of urgency towards the goal, right? That's the second style of leading change, which might be your style, Chad, is um, not necessarily task-focused, but I would say um, purpose-focused. Mm -hmm. Instead of focusing on the people, we focus on the purpose. What is the end game? What's the business goal? What's the vision? What's the strategy for the change? This type of change leader can be very visionary and strategic. Probably a lot of project product managers may be like this, especially the ones that aspire to you know, lead at higher levels because they are the ones that really get excited by looking outside new trends, tools, technologies coming down the pike. How can I bring this back to my organization, use uh -huh. it to transform, do things better, right? So that's obviously a strength, but, or and, I would say, that style of leading change from the purpose, the vision, the strategy, the big picture, getting it done. Um, how do you think that might be at times um, an overdone strength or lead to other blind spots? Yeah, so as I can relate to this one a little bit better. Even though internally, I deeply care about the team that I work with, right, and the individuals, based on feedback I've received in some situations, I, I know, you know, you know, those 360 things, uh, I can sometimes be projecting that I'm actually a little bit aloof and not, not as connected. Yeah. No, that's great. Absolutely. Because again, you will be focusing more on the purpose um, versus maybe the people, right? Uh -huh. um, getting the job done. So as I say, there's a distinction between your style of leading change, which is what CQ focuses on, and yourself as a person. Uh -huh. um, you know, again, people who are head or hands, which I'll talk about in a minute, oriented change leaders can deeply care about the people. And yet, when they are leading change, what's on their radar screen is something else, right? right? It's kind of like that is the um, 
uh, you know, not a not in focus, but perhaps secondary to getting the job done. Whereas for a high heart change leader, the primary focus are is taking care of the people, right? right? You know, and so again, it's not good, bad, right or wrong. But this is another way that this is empowering, Chad, I think, is because as a psychologist, I know that you can plot all human behavior on a bell curve, right? Uh-huh. It can all be on a bell curve. And if we can move, so for example, a high head change leader is going to be at the side of the bell curve that we need to move fast. We need to achieve that goal. We need to get it done. A high heart change leader is going to be on the side of the bell curve. Like, wait a minute. You know, I want 90, a hundred percent of the people on board before we move forward. Right. right? <laughs> and um, so again, it's not good, bad, right or wrong, but it opens up the possibility of, first of all, dialogue with your key stakeholders, right? You uh-huh. know, in terms of what your perception, what the data that you have that's causing you to think one way or the other and emotions are data, right? Just like project plans and deadlines are data. Um, so you can have a conversation and it helps also um, us to be less defensive in receiving that feedback from others, right? Because hmm. again, if the focus is on, it's all strengths, we're all trying to do the right thing, we're just coming at it from a very different style, uh-huh. right? It helps us all to be able to team better. The last style may also sound like you, Chad, because it is possible to be a combination of styles. Um, but the last style is leading from the hands, right? And hands-focused change leaders are really the one that wants to get it done, right? We always joke that head-oriented change leaders have the vision, the strategy, but they can be sometimes blue sky, impractical, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Focus more on the possibility and the exciting um, uh optimistic opportunity presented by the change, the high hands change leaders are really the ones that focus on the realism, the practical aspects, pragmatism, getting it done. And they really focus on, they're the ones that if you give them that vision of what needs to happen, they will lay out the plan and the process for how to get there. Um, so again, they can, um, you know, uh, uh, what, what's the strength of that obviously is we need that plan. We need to get her done. We need people to focus on those tactics. Um, but if that at all resonates with you, um, what do you think that they also get the feedback that you say that sometimes they can seem aloof or seem more concerned about the, you know, the process and the tasks than, than the people performing them. Um, but any, any other insights that that might offer you? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. You know, the leading from the hands aspect here is focusing on getting the task done. What are the results that we want? And that's what we need to accomplish. And, you know, someone's having a personal crisis right now. That is a far distant secondary thing to think about than getting the results accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I would say that um, that this opens up, Chad, is the opportunity for partnership, right? Because, um, for example, one um, way that high hands change leaders sometimes get dinged <laughs> by others, right, is that um, uh, sometimes they can be looked at as Debbie Downers, <laughs> as leading with no. Be, and, and, and that's actually a strength because the strength is that they're focusing on, uh, the practical, the practicalities behind getting it done. Mm-hmm. They are seeing the roadblocks. They're hearing from the high head visionary change leaders all these exciting ways they could go. And they're real, they're asking questions like, do we have the budget for that? Do we have the time for that? Do we have the people resources for that? Right? They're asking all those hard questions. And so, so, so that is a great partner for a high head change leader, right? Mm -hmm. However, the opportunity for the high hands change leader is to adapt their behavior. So they're not unintentionally creating resistance in that high head visionary change leader. Instead of leading with no, for example, right? Mm -hmm. You could could perhaps lead with, 
that's a fascinating idea. <laughs> and <laughs> have you thought of X, Y, and Z, right? <laughs> and when the high hands change leader, getting it done guy, is talking to that high heart change leader, perhaps he could say something to the effect of, I totally get that we're having this people crisis here and we need to move forward for X, Y, and Z reason. Uh Can you help me understand, right? You know, really what people are thinking and feeling and how we might, you know, integrate those concerns in a path moving forward, right? Because again, with high hands, sometimes that whole idea of using their own and others' emotions as data, right? Uh And recognizing the need to sometimes build those emotional needs and concerns into the project plan, right? Because otherwise they will be barriers and derailers is an insight for a high hands change leader and also enables the high heart change leader to, you know, fully engage and participate and not be resistant because they don't think they care. So there's a number of things that I think that are really important. The key one I want to want to draw an analogy to is I've done the Myers-Briggs type indicator with with teams several times, so the MBTI. And there's lots of tools out there, right? Uh, but this is the one that just helps the team appreciate that we tend to approach things from different perspectives. And I think that's what's so important about tools like that is you can have a group of you know, 10, 12 people, and have, if all the types are represented, have very different ways of looking at the same situation. And understanding that together, that someone else's way of looking at it isn't wrong. It's just different, right? And working through that really helps the team to communicate more clearly and just work better together and reduce some of the tensions. And when you talk about things that we might do, interacting with a head, a heart, head, or hands leader from a different perspective actually creates more resistance by not understanding that, right? And I see this as another perspective on how can we just learn to appreciate our differences and work with each other better by being more aware of that. And that gets back to this change intelligence issue of just being more aware of our own style and other people's styles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sometimes I like to tell a joke by Rodney Dangerfield. (laughs) Remember Rodney? Oh, yeah. And all that good stuff. Yeah. So don't worry. He he does have some non-blue jokes. This is (laughs) G-rated. And and so the joke is that a guy goes to the doctor. And he says to the doctor, 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 I'm in so much pain. What can I do? I broke my leg in three places. What can I do? And the doctor says, don't go to those three places again. (laughs) (laughs) But that's often what we do, right? We, you know, we're under stress and we go to those three places. We go to our strengths, right? Whether it's focusing on the people, but maybe too much, focusing on that exciting vision, but maybe too much Mm -hmm. or too many at once. Um, or focusing on that plan and getting into the, you know, change by checklist mentality and not right. realizing that we need to flex, right? Yeah. Um, absolutely. And just to your point about the various, like the Myers-Briggs and, um, you know, I use the Myers-Briggs a lot. I use the DISC a lot. Mm-hmm. I use Strength Finders a lot. Yep. All and good. Actually, yeah, exactly. All good. And um, as a psychologist, obviously, I love those kind of tools and they're great for individual self-awareness. They're great for team building. And the reason that I created the CQ change intelligence assessment, because there is an assessment you can take that will um, elucidate your style of leading change, is because I did want to laser focus on leading change, Mm -hmm. Um, did want to laser focus just on that critical capability. And so um, part of my analysis, which is very interesting, doing like discriminant and convergent validity analysis across the CQ assessment and these other assessments, is that people's styles in leading change can be consistent, predictable, perhaps to some degree from 
their results on other assessments. And a lot of people, those are different, right? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you get a person who's very um, people focused, like a strong um, F, let's say, mm -hmm. <laughs> on, you know, emotional focus on the Myers-Briggs. Um, and yet on the uh, CQ assessment, they will score as either a high head visionary or a planful executor, right? Mm -hmm. High hands. Um, and again, it's, it's because what we're really talking about here is, is how do we lead change and how do we leverage our strengths when we do that? So again, a lot of times I will even use both the tools with a team because I think uh, Disc Myers-Briggs Strengths Finders helps us understand our general life and work orientation and preferences. Um, and I think the change intelligence assessment is, uh, again, focuses on change. So therefore, as a team, it really points to actionable insights that we can use moving forward. So for example, if on your team, like looking past the individual level to the team level, um, you have... Uh, you know, a, a lot of head and a lot of heart, right? You have uh -huh. great ideas <laughs> and you have a lot of engagement, um, but low hands, that's suggesting that perhaps it will help you either plan forward or look back in lessons learned and kind of disentangle past projects and maybe why they didn't fail, right? Maybe you didn't have the folks that are focusing on the execution, are focusing on getting it done, right? Really, as we used to say back in, you know, total quality management days and deming and all that mm -hmm. good stuff, maybe not installing the wedges to really make the change stick. Right. And right. so definitely different team profiles have different strengths and different blind spots. And if your team is missing a style or low on a style, then it gives you ideas about what can we do to shore up that gap. Right. And making it stick is an important aspect of change. And even in organizations where it comes to products, you know, certainly we've seen groups that can kind of go out, out of the way to sabotage a new product because they feel it threatens an existing product that they have some allegiance to. Whereas the more likely we're able to create a larger pie for everyone involved, just the product lineup might might change over time, right? And we do at times cannibalize existing products because it's better for everyone involved, including our customers. Hopefully we're giving them something better. We, we, we want to take action so that we're recognizing that some change is uncomfortable in that situation, but still leads to a better outcome for everyone. And that's a great insight too, because just analyzing that situation from a CQ perspective, uh -huh. right? Looking at the individual level, obviously, there are a lot of emotional issues there, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the fear, the threat. Um, I have a lot of ownership. I have a lot of investment here. Um, will I be able to succeed in the new future, right? Mm -hmm. Do I have the skills, capabilities? All that comes up, right? So that you definitely need heart leadership in that area, right? Um, you definitely need head leadership because sometimes we are – one of the biggest topics in change management literature is change fatigue and change saturation, Right. right. Um, my research shows that at the top of the organization, there's a lot of high head leadership, right? Which is great. We need to steer towards the future. And at the same time, we don't always perhaps have, um, uh, we've seen a lot of failure, right? We've seen a lot of failure and there's a lot of um, uh, directions that uh, perhaps aren't as wise, right? And so people uh -huh. see that and they get cynical, right? Um, so, um, so definitely we need to understand the why we're going in this new direction, right? And we need the very clear head leadership to do that. But, and also though, what you're talking about, and I think people drop this out and the hands oriented style of leading change is the least prevalent around the world, hmm. the least prevalent. So we have the least amount of people that by nature are focusing on making change stick to your point. 
And what is part of making it stick is looking at the barriers in good people's way. Sometimes people get it. They get the head. They want it. They get the heart, but they just can't do it. Sometimes is they haven't been retooled themselves, right? Right. They're still operating in the new way because that's all they know. That's all they've been trained. Sometimes we give people a one-off training session, expect them to do it, right? No coaching, no help, no hand-holding. Also, a lot of times there's barriers in the organizational system that are keeping good people from behaving consistently with the change. How they're rewarded, the reward system, the compensation system, the information system. Um, There's a lot, a lot of things often standing. We don't understand all the times the tentacles that a seemingly simple change, right, um, will make. And so, they, so that's another thing that, um, you know, I've seen as, as a real failure factor in change is we need to look at, you know, are we helping people get it, right, the head? Are we helping people want it, right? Uh-huh. And are we helping people on a very fundamental level be able to do it? Really good points. And the two things I'm thinking about as you talk through that, one is I can relate to all three areas as you, you described this. I'm sure listeners too are trying to, you know, figure out where, where they're, where they fit into this hard head, head, heart, head, hands model. Uh, tongue twister for me this morning. Um, <laughs> th- those three areas. And knowing that I am weaker on the heart area, I tend to probably overcompensate there, right? And so that's where I consciously think about spending more time. But then when the situation gets tense, we're under pressure. We got to get things done. I know I'm going to default without being more CQ aware. I would default to my natural behavior, which is probably realistically more hands, right? We got to get the results, right? And I'm after that. And I think being aware of this, having, you know, building your CQ helps you in those situations, just like emotional intelligence does, helping you know what is best for this situation now to work through not building more resistances, but to get everyone on board in the same place. Absolutely. And, and like you said before, that might be partly, who do I need a partner with to help me compensate? Absolutely. So um, there's actually seven change leader styles. Okay. So if you um, picture a triangle and you picture hard head hands on each point of the triangle, right? You can have blends. And most of us are blends, right? So you might be the blend in between the head and the hands, actually, which is the driver style, mm-hmm. right? The combination of seeing where the change once needs to go, seeing the new product that needs to be developed, and being laser focused on how do we get there, right? Mm-hmm. The neat thing about picturing CQ on a triangle is that what's on the opposite side of the triangle is what your blind spot tends to be, right? So in this case, the driver's opposite is the heart, right? Might drop out the heart. And exactly what you just said is true. As I mentioned from neuroscience, what happens when we get stressed, we go to our strength, right? right? We go to our strength and we drop out other things that we made to do to be successful. And when we remember change intelligence, right, when we build our CQ, we remember that at any time, any of those options are available to us, right? At any time, any of those options are available to us. And so sometimes what we need to do as a leader, right, is we need to sit back, breathe, (laughs) get that oxygen and the glucose going back into our brain, right? And remember that we have all three tools in our tool bag. Uh We have all three tools, just like we all have a head, we have a heart, and most of us have one or two hands, right? We might have a go-to, a much more comfortable tool, right? Uh And yet we all do have all three. Because to your point, again, so often looks like resistance in others is an opportunity for us to do something differently, right? And again, it's not really about fundamentally changing who we are. Nobody needs a personality transplant, right? It's about adapting our behaviors, not changing who we are, 
but adapting our behaviors. Uh-huh. And the one thing I would say that was really brilliant that you said also is about remembering to partner with other people. Because as I say, there's three different strategies we have to deal with a blind spot as an individual or as a team, right? Let's say hard is our blind spot. Um, what can we do? Well, one thing is what you just said. We can partner with others, right? We can partner with others in areas where we're weak or we don't enjoy as much, right? Or we just don't have on our radar screen, right? And again, because this is all about preferences, behavioral preferences, not skill, right? Um, you could be great when you get there one-on-one, right? It's just, do you prefer to be in that mode or do you feel like you have, you know, again, the, 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 the savvy to do it or do you prefer to play in other spaces, right? Because sometimes when we're, um, uh, when we're leveraging our blind spot, right? Uh, it's like driving the car with the brakes on. <laughs> it really is like my, my, my blind spot. I'm the combination of the, um, heart and the head, which is the champion style, right? So I get where my clients want to go uh-huh. and I enjoy motivating and rallying the people to get there, right? Uh-huh. What can I drop out is the hands, right? So right. I need you <laughs> in other words, right? So, so that's one thing we can, um, but when I'm in that mode, that project planning mode and that detail oriented mode, it can be, um, I can do it. It's just, again, it can be frustrating if I'm doing it for a long uh-huh. time and I don't enjoy it as much, right? So that's the first strategy we can do, um, use to deal with a blind spot is to, partner with others, right? Uh The second thing we can do is we can build muscle. We can build muscle in areas where we can don't enjoy. Because again, even though we're talking about behavioral preference versus skill, if something is something we don't enjoy, we tend not to have built a lot of muscle in it, right? Right. So I've taken project management classes. I don't enjoy them, (laughs) but I've done it. Um, To your point, um, you know, again, a lot of the technical people I work with, building skill and emotional intelligence, things like the Myers-Briggs and the DISC, that's a great strategy there, right, for an individual or for a team. And finally, the ones that a lot of people don't think about, the third strategy is to put systems and structures in place to keep things on the radar screen that you might drop out. So for a, you know, low hands leader, a te- low heart leader, a team, for example, you know, you might consider doing periodic pulse surveys, right? Or town hall meetings, or making sure that you have time for process checks in your um, in your agendas. You know, part of the milestone process could be, you know, what's our adoption rate? What are we hearing from the field? Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Just putting in place um, actual times or, or or methods that you're going to use to keep that on the radar screen right. for yourself. Yep. So again, those are strategies that individuals or teams or sometimes organizations, when you look at, again, building the change intelligence of an entire, you know, kind of unit, um, it, they're all strategies that we can deploy. And three really good strategies, partner with someone, take the time to build the muscle yourself and put processes in place that lead to the activities, the results that you want. And so things don't drop through the cracks. Excellent. I'm sure some people are listening, including myself right now, to this discussion. So I, I really want to dive into this more and figure out what my my change intelligence you know, of those seven possible styles, where, where's my change intelligence level really at? What do you have in terms of resource for this assessment that we can figure this out? Well, um, people can. There's a free assessment that comes with every copy of my book, Change Intelligence. And that's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. If you pop over to my website, changecatalysts.com. Um, there's lots of free downloadable resources that you can have. Um, the assessment you can, again, either find in the book itself or if you contact me directly, um, it's also available for purchase. Okay. And that was changecatalyst.com? Yep. Um, change and then catalyst was an S. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. As listeners know, I love innovation quotes and I ask someone to bring an innovation or success quote. What do you have for us and why did you choose that one for us? I have a quote from Ben Franklin. Always pithy, oldie but goodie. 
And Ben says that when we're finished changing, we're finished. And I love that. Again, it's not about changing ourselves any more than we can force change on others. However, I think it does start with us. And I think that the pace of change isn't going to slow down anytime shortly. So I think we all need to, you know, again, we hear so much about agility. And, uh, and I think that, you know, I know that, you know, building your change intelligence, building your ability to lead yourself and others through change is going to continue to be a pivotal capacity now and moving forward. It's the one thing we better all get used to because, like that quote says, if we're not changing, we're done. <laughs> so it's just as part of life, and especially the business environments that we work in these days. That's what we have to deal with. So I appreciate all that great information. Tell us one more time where to find your book and where to find your website. Changecatalyst.com. And again, my book is available wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And there's a link to it directly on my website. Great. And by title, Change Intelligence. Correct. Change intelligence. Use the power of CQ to lead change that sticks. Great. Barbara, fascinating topic. I really appreciate you sharing with us. I got some good takeaways on how I can think about change a little bit differently and how I can recognize how other people approach change in not cookie cutter ways, but you know, uh, as, as individuals. So I appreciate you sharing the information with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Chad. Thanks for listening. If we're not already connected on LinkedIn, please send me a connection request. Just search for Chad McAllister, PhD, and you'll find my profile. For a summary of the discussion with Barbara, go to theeverydayinnovator.com slash 141. And from that page, you can also download the Product Mastery Roadmap. It shows you how to go from product manager to product master. That and more, again, is at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 141. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.